All right, take your Bible tonight, open to the book of John, chapter 4. The book of John, chapter 4. John, chapter number 4. And, uh, of course, two weeks from today is when we'll have our grand opening services um, on October the 1st. And I hope you're praying about that. I hope you're praying that God would really bless uh, in the services. Um, and uh, what we want to do um, this tonight, and then Wednesday night, and then next Sunday night, and then the following Wednesday night, uh, we're just going to take some time at the end of the service, and we're just going to pray together as a church. And we're going to take some time and pray that God would really bless um, and that we would have visitors come and the gospel would be heard and souls would be saved. And so we're going to take some time uh, at the end of the service to do that. But kind of with that thought in mind, um, when we think of a grand opening service, um, what, is, what is the purpose of the grand opening service? What's our purpose for it? Is the purpose of the grand opening service just that we can let everybody in the community know that the church is here? Is that the purpose of it? I think, that, I think they're pretty aware, well aware that the church is here, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, I've had people, you know, that I don't, I don't even know. I'm like, hey, aren't you the pastor of that church that's over in the old Brethren Church? I'm like, yeah. How did you know about that? Well, you know, somebody told me or this or that. So, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty well aware that there's, um, the community knows we're here. So what is the purpose of our grand opening? What's that? Spread the gospel. Um, again, a, a lot of businesses, they have grand openings, and the purpose is to invite the community in, let the community know about it. But uh, look, First Baptist Church has been here for over 70 years, right? It's not like First Baptist Church is a new church or business or something like that coming into the community. And the whole purpose of the grand opening is, yes, obviously we want to finish the renovations, but we could finish the renovations in a building and not have a grand opening. You don't have to have a grand opening just because you do some renovations. The purpose of the grand opening is to really try to get the community to come. The purpose of the grand opening is to try to invite people that may not come to like a normal service, but if you're saying, hey, you're having a grand opening, you know, it might, they might want to be willing to come to that instead of just coming to a normal service and things. And so the purpose of it is not just to, uh, you know, cut a ribbon on a building. I mean, what's the purpose of cutting a ribbon on a building, right? I mean, we've been using the building for nine months. It's not like this is a brand new building that's never been used before. No, I mean, the building's been here. This building's been here since 1981. Uh, we've been using it as a church for nine months. It's not like it's new or anything. The, the purpose, and, and I hope that we as a church understand this, it's not just to be able to you know, say, hey, look at the renovations that we've done. No, the purpose is to say we want to bring people from the community in so that they can hear the gospel being preached, right? And I, I, I want us to look in this passage in John chapter 4, and I, I, want to, I want you to give me some feedback as we begin um, this this evening, and again, the feedback I'm, I'm looking for is going to come more from the adults. I know kids can come up with all different types of ideas, but the feedback I'm, I'm really kind of looking for tonight is, um, is from the, the adults here tonight. And in John chapter 4, in verse number 27, right, obviously, I think we understand the passage here is dealing with 
the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus comes to the well. The disciples go. Um, the Bible tells us the disciples have gone to buy food in the city. Jesus has this uh, conversation uh, with this woman of Samaria, the Samaritan woman, uh, from verses 6, basically all the way through here. But kind of at the, towards the end of the conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman, the disciples come back, right? They've gone to buy food, and they come back, and Jesus is kind of concluding his conversation with the Samaritan woman. And I want you to notice what happens here in verse number 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye, meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. And then, of course, at the end of this, we find many of the Samaritans coming out from the city uh, after this woman had come and told them to come out and see Jesus. I want to draw your attention to the conversation between Jesus and the disciples, though. What I want to kind of look at tonight is what, what was the failure of the disciples here? What was the failure of the disciples? Because the disciples absolutely, totally failed. They blew it in this passage. The disciples don't actually say a lot in this passage, but they failed miserably. What, what is Jesus trying to help them see? Where did, and this is where I want you to give me some feedback here, where did the disciples fail in this passage? Where did they fail? Little Jay? They didn't talk to the woman, right? They didn't talk to the woman. What else? Ms. Anita? Okay. They missed the opportunity to share with her about eternal life. Okay. Ms. Rachel? They only saw the physical? What else? Where did they fail? Anybody else? Stana? The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. It's very true, right? I think I saw a hand up there. Yeah. Okay, it kind of interrupted the conversation that he was having. Is Rachel? Oh, that's interesting. They marveled why 
you know, why was, they're wondering why Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, but then they didn't even ask why. They even asked Jesus anything about it. Ms. Bev? Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Where'd they buy the bread? Where'd they get the food? Anybody else? That's really good. Anybody else see anything in the passage? Where did, where did they fail? Okay, they didn't finish his work. Anybody else? Where'd they fail? It's good. I like to see how you guys look at the passage. Anybody else? That it, you think? All those are really good, good responses, right? I, th- I think when we look at this passage, again, we didn't, we didn't have time to read the whole passage, but if you go back to um, verse number four, or three and four, it says, Jesus, they left Judea, they departed and again into Galilee. He must needs go through Samaria, um, which was not the normal route the Jews would take um, they would usually try to bypass Samaria because, I think somebody mentioned it, uh, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. They did not care for the Samaritans at all. Uh, they considered them uh, pretty much, they were just lowest of the low, right? They were, they were even worse than G- the Gentiles because the Samaritans were, they were a mix between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was Jews that had married Gentiles and then they had children. They were called Samaritans. They weren't Jew. They weren't Gentile. They were kind of Mix and so there was uh, there was a hatred there uh, for these Samaritans, right? So tonight, as as we think about those things, think about all those things that were said, really, really good things. I wonder if we were to have taken all those things and written them down in a list. I wonder how many of those we would be guilty of. I wonder how many of those we would be guilty of. Again, it's, it's very easy to, and I'm not, I wasn't necessarily asking us to criticize. We were kind of pointing out some things, but it's very easy to point out everybody else's faults and failures without recognizing that we have the same faults and failures. And so when we look at this passage tonight, I want to kind of, I want to kind of give this idea of witnessing with focus, right? Because I believe so many times we know what the Great Commission is, Right? We know the Great Commission. The Great Commission can be summed up in one word. What is that one word? Two letters. What is it? Come on, what is it? Go. We know that, right? We know. Jesus said go multiple times, right? We know what the Great Commission is. We know what the command is, right? But do we go? So when we think about Witnessing with focus. I think Jesus kind of helps them to see a couple things here in this passage of Scripture, right? Notice, if we're going to witness this with focus, we have to focus on the spiritual. Notice what happens in verse number 31, right? 
when the disciples come back, notice in verse, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. They had been with Jesus. No doubt the journey was long. Jesus is at a well. The disciples go to get some food. They come back. They see him talking with the Samaritan woman. They are not concerned about the Samaritan woman. They are, they're surprised that Jesus is even speaking to the Samaritan woman. When she leaves, they, ha- they, care, they don't care whether she's there. They don't care whether she leaves. And as soon as she's gone, what do they say? Master, eat. We went and got food. Now it's time to eat, right? The disciples were so concerned about the physical aspects of life that they were looking right over the spiritual aspect of it. Again, think about what it says in verse 27. When his disciples, upon this his disciples came and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Imagine, they, they, they're probably wondering, why is Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman? We know she's from Samaria. We know the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why would Jesus be talking to this woman? And yet, not one of them asked, Lord, why, why were you talking to her? Why, why, why were you talking? I mean, how long you've been talking to her? I mean, we've been gone for a while now. We went to the town to get food. You've been out here. Have you been talking to that lady the whole time? What have you been talking to her about? Why were you talking to her? No concern at all for the spiritual things. They were more concerned about eating than they were the woman that Jesus had been talking to. They they were so focused on themselves and the physical aspect of the food that they completely lost sight of the spiritual aspect. And I wonder how many times as Christians we get so focused on the physical that we lose sight of the spiritual. We get so focused on our job. We get so focused on our routine. We get so focused on everything else that we make the same mistakes that the disciples made and we don't focus on the spiritual. We don't focus on that person in front of us. We just focus on me and what I want and what my desires are. Hey, their desire was to eat physical food. Hey, it's time to eat, Lord, let's eat. What about that woman? It doesn't matter about that woman. We don't really care about that woman. She's a Samaritan. We don't really care about her. Lord, she says, no, this, this woman was important. That's why Jesus said he must needs go through Samaria. There's a reason why he came here. Even in John chapter 6, later, verse number 40, Jesus says, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Said the purpose in Jesus' coming was so that people could have life. Now, was Jesus tired from the journey? Yes, the Bible says. In verse number five, I think it is, he says he was wearied. Verse number six, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. Jesus was tired physically, right? It's really the sixth hour, it's the heat of the day, it's around noontime, it's hot. It would be very easy as this woman comes for for Jesus just to have kind of sat to the side and not really been concerned about her. I mean, all she's there to do is get water and then go back to to Samaria. She's going to get water, then she's going to go back to her home. But Jesus shows us it's not just about the physical. So many times we get so busy, we we get so consumed with the physical things going on, 
that we do not recognize the spiritual, the spiritual aspect of it, right? Can, can, I, can I say, look, on, on grand opening Sunday, it's, it's going to be a busy day. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be busy. We're, we're, pr- we're praying for lots of people to come, and we have people going to be serving different places. But can I say, don't, not, not just the grand opening day, but even then, don't, don't be so consumed with the physical that we miss the spiritual. Yeah, we're praying for 400. Why are we praying? Or I'm praying for 400. I don't know what you're praying for. Um, if you're praying for 1,000, please don't. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I mean, if you are, great. Praise the Lord. But I don't know where we're going to put them. <laughs> why, why, why? Again, that, that number is just a number that the Lord laid on my heart to pray for. Why, why am I praying for 400? And, and, and am I praying for 400 that we can be able to say, man, on grand opening, we had over 400 people come to our church. No. That's why even if we don't get 400, it doesn't matter to me. It's not about a number, right? But you know why I'm praying for 400? Because I guarantee you, of those 400 people that are going to be here on grand opening, there's going to be some that are not saved. There's going to be some that have never heard the gospel before. Or maybe they've heard the gospel and they've pushed it off and they pushed it off and they pushed it off. And maybe that day would be the day that they would really finally understand and choose to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. We've got to be careful that we don't become so consumed with the physical that we completely miss the spiritual aspect of it. Again, whether it's at work or whether you're in the grocery store, whether you're eating out somewhere, wherever it might be, be careful that we don't get so consumed with what we're doing that we totally miss the spiritual aspect. Look, I understand we have busy lives. Look, the disciples came back and they said, hey, it's time to eat, let's eat, right? When it's time to eat, you don't want to put anything in front of that. But Jesus said, you've missed it. You missed it. I, I, really, I really like what Ms. Bev said. They had gone to town to buy food. And how many did they bring back to Jesus? And they'd been walking with Jesus for how long? This woman meets Jesus in one day, one day, and she goes back to town. In fact, the Bible says she left her water pot. No longer was her water important anymore. What was important was she knew that there were people that needed to meet Jesus. And what was so important to her before was no longer important. She left her water pot. She went back to the town and she began telling anybody and everybody that would listen to say, hey, you need to come and meet this man. You need to come out and meet this man. And the Bible says many that were in the town believed on Jesus because of her. And then many came out and listened to Jesus and then believed on Jesus because of what they heard. But they would never have come out and listened if it wasn't for her telling them, hey, you got to go out and listen to this guy. We've got to be very careful that we don't focus on the physical. We need to focus on the spiritual aspect of it. There is no greater work that you and I can do than the work that pleases the Father. And Jesus said, this is the work that pleases the Father. It is his will that we should be most concerned about. It's what Jesus was concerned about. What did he say? My me is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish his work. Was Jesus hungry? Yes. Was he tired? Yes. 
But he understood that this woman's spiritual state was more important than his hunger. It was more important than his body being tired. And I understand sometimes we can be tired and sometimes we can be just so busy. And, and kind of as we, we get into this next point, they kind of co- go together. But not only do we need to focus on the spiritual, but we need to focus on the time. Look what he says in verse number 35, right? Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35, say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Jesus said, look, you plant and then what happens? Four months later, you're gonna harvest. But Jesus said, look, I'm telling you the harvest is now. You don't have to wait four months. There is a harvest that is ready now. And this is why as Christians, if we're going to focus on the spiritual, we have to focus on the time as well because we have to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Can I I tell you something? The devil will never tell you, you ought to give a track to that person. You really think that's going to be the devil telling you that? You ought to give a track to that. You ought to invite that person to church. You really think that's the devil going to tell you that? So if, if you're standing there in line or you're standing and talking to somebody at work or you're standing at the gas pump and all of a sudden there's something in your heart that says, hey, you ought to talk to that person and invite them to church or you ought to give a track to that person. Who do you think is telling you that? Who do you think has put that in your heart to say, hey, you, there, there's somebody right there, and you ought to take that track that you have in your car, in your pocket, or, or you ought to say, hey, just, hey, what, man, that's a really cool car. You know, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Who is it that put, is putting that in your heart to, to hey, you ought, to, you ought to talk to that person? It's definitely not the devil. And as a Christian, we have to be sensitive to his leading, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because think about this. When we focus on time, we don't know how much time we have on this earth. We don't know how much time we have. But you know what? That's okay. It's okay that we don't know how much time that we have. You know why? Because we know where we're going. We don't have to know how much time we have left. It really doesn't matter. Because our destiny is settled. We know no matter how long we have, guess where we're going to be? We're going to be at the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the same way, knowing the time, even more sobering, is that we don't know how much time a lost person has. And that's the dangerous part of this because we don't know how much time they have. And again, we do know where they're going if they die without Jesus Christ. Just as we, hey, it doesn't really matter how much time we have because we know we're going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the same manner, it ought to concern us that, hey, those that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they die without Christ, they're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. We know where they're going. But we don't know how much time they have left to make that decision to put their faith in him. And that ought to compel us to want to to tell them about this is what Jesus says. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white already to harvest. He said, look, the harvest is out there. The harvest is ready. Now, I've heard people say, you know, when Jesus said that, all the people from Samaria were coming out. Nowhere in Scripture does he tell us that, 
right? I don't know that that's true. I think what Jesus is simply showing is, hey, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. There's somebody that needs the gospel. It doesn't matter where you're at. Whether you're at a well in the middle of nowhere where there's one person or whether you're at work where there's 50 people or whether you're in, uh, in a town that has 5,000 people, somebody there needs the gospel. And as Christians, we've got to be focused on the spiritual aspect, not just so consumed with the, uh, or with the spiritual, not so consumed with the physical, but thinking of the spiritual and thinking of the time. Think about what James 4.14 says, whereas you know that what shall it be on the morrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. What happens when a harvest is left and is not harvested it's just left out there it begins to rot and eventually becomes useless think of a farmer who knows that it's harvest time think of the time he's been waiting for this harvest He's made all the effort to plant. He's made all the effort to, to, to get the fields ready and to plant the seed. And he's done all the effort, everything he can, and it's harvest time. Let me ask you a question. What is, what is going to stop that farmer from bringing in the harvest? Nothing. There isn't anything going to stop him from bringing in the harvest. Right? I mean... You watch them when it's harvest time, they are out there. I mean, even if it's late at night, you see them with their lights on, they're out there harvesting. I mean, there is, I mean, nothing's going to keep them from bringing the harvest. Even, you know, it might rain a little bit. They wait till the ground gets dry and then they're out there. I mean, they're full board out there. Even if it takes 24 hours a day to get that harvest in, they're going to get that harvest in. Why? Because they know the longer that it sits out there, the, the more useless it's going to become. They've got to get it in before it's too late. This is what Jesus is saying. The harvest, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. The, the, the harvest is white. It's ready to harvest. He'll work day and night, 10, 12, 14, 20, 24 hours a day to get that harvest in because he knows he only has a short time. Do we understand as Christians we're not talking about corn and soybeans and wheat? We're talking about souls. We're talking about souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere. And this is why Jesus says, look, guys, you missed it. You're so wrapped up in food and all of this, but you missed. Here was a woman that needed to know about Jesus. She needed to know about God. There are people in this town of Samaria that you absolutely hate, you despise. They need to know about God. Who's going to tell them? The disciples didn't care about it. They, they, cared, they cared absolutely nothing for that woman that was there. But aren't you glad Jesus did? He cared for her. He helped her. He helped her to know who he was. But then I want you to think about this, right? We've got to focus on the spiritual, focus on the time, because we don't know how much time we have left. But notice there's something else that Jesus brings out here in this passage. He says in verse number 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. 
I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Jesus said, look, there's, there's a harvest that needs to be here. But he says, here's the thing, something else we can think out. Why does a farmer sow his field? Why does he take the time to plow the ground? Why does he take the time to, to put the seed into the ground? Why does he do that? Because he wants something to grow, right? He wants whatever, if he's planting corn, when he puts that kernel of corn in the ground, he wants a stock of corn to grow. If he's putting soybeans in the ground, when he's wanting soybeans to grow, right? He's planting something because he wants it to grow. There's a desire for it to grow. There's a desire for them to produce, right? Why does the farmer reap his fields? Why does he reap the field? For the harvest, for the reward. He reaps the field for the reward. This is what he says. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life. He reaps, he gathers for the reward that was produced. Now, think about this. This is really interesting. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of agriculture in this community. And I understand the farmers, they go out and they plow the field. And they go out and they plant the seed. But you know there's one thing the farmer cannot do. He cannot make the seed grow. Can't do that. He can get all the field ready, and he can put the seed into the ground, and he can fertilize it, and he can do every, all that kind of But the farmer cannot make the seed to grow. There's only one that can do that. It's God. God is the only one who can cause that seed to grow. Here's, here's the reward God is speaking of. Again, think about this. Jesus says that we are sowing and reaping fruit when we are focusing on the spiritual things. We're focusing on time. We're recognizing that people do not have all the time in the world and that there is a spiritual need they have, not just the physical. He says, he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit, watch this, unto eternal life. He says we are sowing and reaping fruit unto eternal life. As we are sowing that seed, we're not just out there trying to, to just give people a track or invite them to the church because, you know, we think it's the right thing to do. No, we're doing it because we understand they need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. When we have outreach, we're not doing it just because we're like, I don't think we have anything to do this week, so let's just take an hour and a half and let's just waste it by going out and knocking on people's doors and putting tracks in their doors. No, I'm sure we could find something else to do. So what's the, part? what's the point? Why do we do it? Because there's a spiritual need there. There is somebody there. There's somebody, one of those houses or something that we can go to that they, there's a spiritual need. They don't know Christ or, or they're, they're looking for the gospel. They're trying to know who Jesus is and what it's all about. And we're able to go there and we're able to help to sow the seed. Or maybe it's the, the opportunity to be able to reap the seed and maybe they've been, they've been trying to understand but they just need somebody to really help them and, and point them to Jesus and they're ready to accept Christ as their Savior. But our purpose is to bring in the harvest. 
When a person accepts Christ as their Savior, their eternal destiny is changed. Their eternal destiny is changed. Instead of getting, going to spend eternity in the, in the lake of fire, now they get to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what's amazing about that. God allows us to have a part in that. God allows us to have a part in it. Do you know which farmer is able to receive the harvest? The one who goes out and reaps the harvest. The farmer that plants the field and sees the seed grow and sees the nice corn out there but doesn't ever go out into the field to reap the harvest receives nothing. And this is why Jesus is saying, look, the harvest is ready. Here and is that saying true. One soweth, another reapeth. He says, I'm sending you to reap. I'm sending you to reap that which ye sowed not. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. He's saying, I'm sending you out there to, to reap this harvest. There is a job that needs to be done. Look, I, I'm thankful that God has blessed us with a larger building, and I'm thankful that he's blessed us with, with better facilities and, and larger property and things like that. But look, if, if we think somehow that the job of First Baptist Church is now complete because that, we just got a bigger building, you're wrong. Our job is not finished. Our job is just beginning. There are still people to reach with the gospel. There are still people to tell about Jesus Christ. There are still people, and praise God, yesterday a young man accepted Christ as a Savior. Why? Because there are still people that need to hear. There are still people that need to know. And yet so many times we are just like the disciples. We get so consumed with the physical. We get so consumed with our jobs and our families and all those different things. And again, thank God for your job and thank God for your family. Thank God for those things. But we get so consumed with that that we fail to realize the spiritual aspect of what we're here for. And that is reaching people with the gospel. They didn't care that Jesus was talking to the woman. They didn't care when the woman left what was, what was the next thing out of their mouth when the woman left? Let's eat. No concern. And Jesus says, guys, you have, you have failed. You've missed it. This woman needed to know about God. There's a city of people there that you were just near need to know about me. And you didn't tell anybody. And I love it. God, God, God tells us here that this woman, this Samaritan woman that believed on Jesus Christ went and began to tell other people about him. It says, many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. And then when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. He abode there two days. Two days. A little detour to a well in Samaria led to Jesus staying in Samaria for two days. What was he doing? Telling them about God. Telling them about Jesus. And many more believed because of his own words. And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ. What are those next words? What is it? 
the Savior of the world. I wonder how they knew that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Because it wasn't the disciples that told him that. The disciples didn't tell them that Jesus was the Savior of the world. The disciples didn't tell them that Jesus could change their life. Great men of faith, the disciples. No, they failed. It was a woman. It was a woman that Jesus loved enough to tell her about him. Have we become so consumed with the physical that we've totally missed the spiritual? We get so consumed with the physical things that we miss the opportunities that God gives us to share the gospel with somebody. You say, Pastor, are you going to say that every person that I talk to is going to believe like that woman? No, they're not. Not everybody will. Not everybody believed Jesus when he talked either. But was the seed sown? Yes. And as a Christian, our responsibility is to sow the seed. That's what we're supposed to do. Can I tell you something? We can't cause the seed to grow. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's God's job. Our job is simply to plant the seed, and then as he allows it to grow, we're there to help bring in the harvest. We're there to help point them to Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. Don't forget our purpose. Witness with focus. Remember what our focus is to be about. It's not just to be about the physical things. The next time that you're standing at the gas station pumping gas or you're in line or you're at work or whatever, ask God, Lord, what's the spiritual aspect of this? Why, why, what spiritually do I need to see here instead of just the physical? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to work in your heart. And when he says, hey, why don't you witness to that person? Why don't you invite that person to church? Do it. Do it. Are they going to get saved? I don't know. I do know this. The gentleman that got saved yesterday, I know that, that his family's been praying for him for over two years. Two years to get saved. It didn't happen overnight. But they were faithful, continuing to share the gospel. Faithful and faithful and faithful. Until what happened? They got to see a harvest. They got to see a harvest. Why? Because they kept sowing. They kept sowing. They kept sowing. God brought the increase. Let's focus. Let's focus on what we're supposed to focus on. And that is being that witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want to do tonight, and I know they'll probably have to end the live stream here in just a moment. But what I want to do is I want us to spend some time tonight, and we just, I just want to pray for, specifically, our grand opening that we're going to have, that God would, one, bring in visitors, people that have been invited. Now, let me tell you something. Again, if you haven't invited anybody, guess who's going to come? Nobody. If you haven't invited them, they're not going to come, right? You've got to at least invite them to come, Okay. That's why the invitation is there. So we're going to pray that God will bring in visitors. Those who have been invited, we're going to pray that they're going to come. Some that are going to come, they're already saved. And praise God for that, right? But there are going to be many that are going to come that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
Why do you think they're here that day? Well, they're here for the grand opening. No, they're not. They're not here for the grand opening. That's not why they're here. Well, I thought that's why we invited them. No, that's why we invited them to the grand opening, but they're here to be able to hear the gospel. They're here to hear the gospel. Now, they may not know that, but God does. It's not just going to be a coincidence or a chance, those that are going to be here that day. There's a purpose there. So we want to pray that we'll have visitors. We want to pray that they're receptive to the gospel. That even now, God begins to work in the hearts of those that are going to come, right? I mean, they, they, may, not, they may not even know they're going to come yet, but God does. And we want to pray that God would begin to work in their hearts and that they would be ready to receive the gospel that day. Look, there's going to be a lot of things going on. We want to pray that everything goes well, right? Um, if there's one thing that the devil's going to try to disturb, it, he'll do it, whether it's through the sound system or through the technology or whatever, you know. I mean, he's going to try to mess it up that day. Let's pray that God would just really work through that day, right? Not, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the numbers. We want to try to reach people with the gospel. And this is the perfect, this is a great opportunity to be able to do that, Okay? And so we're going to divide up together tonight, and we're just going to spend some time in prayer. And I hope you'll pray for these things, right? Um, if you've invited somebody, pray for them to come, right? Pray for them to come tonight, okay? If you know they're not saved, pray for them to get saved, right? Now, if they get saved before grand opening, don't be like, oh, man, I want them to get saved on grand opening. <laughs> no, praise God if they get saved before that, right? But if they don't, then pray that they get saved during grand opening, okay? Pray that God would just use the music, the message. Um, you know, just pray that God would just work through the whole service. Um, I think one of my girls the other day, they said, Dad, what are you going to preach? And I told him, I said, honestly, I, I have no idea what I'm going to preach for grand opening. No idea. I've been praying about it, and God has given me absolutely nothing yet. <laughs> I, I know the gospel is going to be given. I do know that. I don't know the direction that the message is going to go yet. Pray for the message. Pray that God uses the message. The songs, the special music, pray that God uses that to speak to hearts. We just want to pray for the, just that whole day. Even afterwards, guess what? You know what? There's going to be food. There's going to be you know, the bounce houses and things like that. You know what we're going to do? We can get so caught up with the physical, we fail to realize there's a person standing next to us that we could witness to. There's a family standing right there while their kids are in the bounce house or eating a hot dog or whatever it might be. What a perfect opportunity to start a conversation with them. They're standing right next to you. Right there. They came. Talk to them. Ask them, hey, how'd you like the service? And do you have a church anywhere you go to? Thank you for coming. We're so glad you came to our grand opening. Man, if you don't have a church, we'd love to have you come. Come back. We have programs for kids and teenagers. Talk, talk to them about it. You know what happens? We get so focused on, again, our, our physical things Oh, I got to get me a hot dog. I got to get me some ice cream, right? Who cares? Who cares about the hot dog and ice cream and the kettle corn? Look, I'm, I'm saying that sounds pretty good to me too. But is that more important than a person next to me and being able to talk to them and share the gospel with them? You say, well, I don't know them. Introduce yourself. Let them know you're part of the church. Look, if, 
I shouldn't have to say this, but I hope you love First Baptist Church. <laughs> if you love First Baptist Church, let them know who you are. Hey, man, I'm a member of First Baptist Church. I come to the church here. I love this place. You got you to come and tell you you're going to love it too. Look, if you're excited, they'll be excited. So we just want to spend some time tonight praying. So what I'd like to do is, uh, honestly, I don't, I, um, I don't know if we should divide it. I, I don't think we should just do families, but maybe, uh, maybe some men get together and pray together, some ladies get together and pray together, or if you just want to do it with your family, whatever. But um, just find somebody else to pray with, right? Find somebody else to pray with. Don't just make it, you know, your group that you're always in, right? I know, you know, this, this group right here, they're, they're always in the front, right? Well, get somebody back there, you know, or you up back there. Get somebody up here on this side. Just find somebody else to pray with tonight, okay? Um, and if it takes a minute to find somebody, that's fine. Don't worry about it. We're just going to take a few minutes tonight. Uh, look, I stopped early. I did. I stopped early. Don't look at your watch. Don't look at your watch, okay? <laughs> I stopped a little bit early tonight because I wanted to do this, okay? Okay. Um, so find somebody to pray with, a lady with a lady, a man with a man, or if you want to pray as a, as a couple, or get, a, get two couples together. Um, but let's just spend some time tonight praying together. Um, if, you don't, if you see somebody that doesn't have anybody to pray with, just pull them in and say, hey, you're praying with us. Don't even ask them, just, you're praying with us. Get over here, right? Be nice about it, though, right? But let's take some time tonight and pray, uh, and just ask God to bless our grand opening and pray that souls will be saved uh, during that day, all right? All right, find somebody to pray with, okay? Teenagers.